If you would begin to grab a seat, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John. Um, you can just kind of turn there. We're eventually going to end up in John chapter 20. Uh, but we're starting a new series uh, through the study of John. Our theme for this year is Encountering Jesus. We introduced that in our first Sunday. We did a Ten Commandments series. Um, but specifically, as we jump into John, we're going to dive deep into this theme of encountering Jesus and uh, specifically look through the Gospel of John as we do that. And so tonight's sermon is more of an introductory sermon. But before I get to that, just a few things uh, as we think about the theme and as we think about a few announcements. The idea of encountering Jesus really is the belief as we look through the Gospel of John. One, um, as there's a lot of incredible things to be said, a lot of rich theology, a lot of incredible truths, a lot of things that we're not going to have time to unpack or we'd spend years going through the Gospel. But we're specifically going to kind of highlight moments where people encounter Jesus. Because the Gospel of John has a lot of one-on-one encounters. And then what happens? How does God uh, work in their lives? How are lives transformed, encounter Jesus? Because we really believe that when we come and encounter Him, everything changes. Like, my life changes, everything changes because of the grace and mercy of Jesus. Everything changes. The fact that I have been, as Ephesians 2 says, encountering Jesus, we are taken from death to life, that we are raised uh, from death, from our trespasses and sins, we are forgiven and we are raised to life. So whether it be spiritual life, whether it be my wants and my desires, whether it be just practical things, I believe that everything in my life changes ultimately for the good. That's not to say that Jesus makes your life easy and everything goes perfect, but it is to say that everything encountering him is a blessing and pours out grace and mercy in our lives. And so as we think about this idea of encountering Jesus, a few ways that we want to, not only through the Gospel of John, but through other events that we're doing throughout this year to emphasize this as we jump into this theme is uh, we're going to have announcements at the end, and I'm going to talk through a lot of things, but I want to highlight really two things that are right side by side together that emphasize this idea of encountering Jesus. First, if you want to grab your calendars, from April 29th to May 4th is what we're talking about. April 29th to May 4th. April 29th and 30th is going to be specifically a a student ministry youth group event from 6th grade to 12th grade. Uh, A weekend, it's a fun weekend, it's called a night weekend. If you have questions, Param can give a lot of details to that. Uh, But it's a weekend that says, hey, we're going to come together, we're going to have fun, we're going to build relationships. But it's a weekend where the students are going to spend intentional time in worship and then Bible study and then stay up late and have fun with one another and all these different things. But it really is a weekend that as kids have fun and build relationships, the focus is on, hey, we want to help you spend focus the weekend together to spend time with Jesus. And so that's Friday and Saturday just for youth group, middle school and high school. And then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of the following week. So student ministry youth group is Friday and Saturday. And then for everyone else, adults, youth are included in the May 1st through the 4th also, is we're going to do just kind of, um, I don't have a name for it, but it's a week that says, hey, on Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, we're going to have a worship gathering each of those nights, just like we do kind of on Sunday. We'll have children's activities Um, parents come in, and we're just going to spend intentional time that week saying, hey, we want to pursue the Lord. You know, when we go to retreats and we do different things, um, God works in those ways and works in those moments, and largely it's because we just take time and we designate 
time to him and say, God, we depend upon you. We're desperate for you. As we sung earlier this afternoon, we are desperate for you. And so on May 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, that week, we're going to gather together and we are going to say, God, we are desperate for you. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. Um, my pastor, David Jett, is going to be with us. Some of you know him. He came and did a marriage conference a couple of years ago. I say it's been a couple of years ago. COVID allows all the time to run together. It's been almost four years now, I guess. It was, I don't know, sometime in the past. Uh, he came and just grateful for him, but he's going to come and he's going to lead us and preach and lead us in times of prayer and just encountering to confess sin and pursue God and ask God to go, hey, we want to encounter you and we're asking for you to move. And so uh, as just as a way of announcements, please mark your calendars, April 29th and 30th for student ministry or that Friday and Saturday, and then May 1st, 2nd, 3rd and 4th. My pastor, David Jett, is going to be with us, and we're just going to have an intentional time of prayer and worship uh, during those. Uh, He'll be preaching as well, but times of prayer and worship. And so I want to encourage you to mark your calendars, do your best to get, leave work on time, be prepared to stay up a little bit later, all those kind of different things as we go throughout the night. Those are going to be at 7 o'clock on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Sunday is going to be normal time. Uh, we will um, we'll worship normally at 4 o'clock on Sundays, and then we'll do probably 7. It's possible we might move it up, but trying to honor you having time to get off work and get here and have dinner and stuff will probably be 7 o'clock uh, on those nights. So please, excited about that. But all of that and this series as we jump to, into it is going, hey, God, we want to counter you. God, we are desperate for you, and we believe that you radically transform our lives. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 20, uh, verse 30 is where we're going to be this evening. Now, you go, Pastor, like normally when you start a book series or study through the verse, like it, it, it makes sense to start at the beginning, yes? I would say yes, absolutely. And next week we're going to go back to John chapter 1, and we're even probably going to pray through parts of John chapter 1 tonight. But as we come to John chapter 20, John chapter 20 gives us kind of the thesis for why John is writing this gospel. And he says this in John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let me read that again, verse 31. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus, Christ, Jesus is the Christ, meaning he is the Messiah, he is the Redeemer who has to come, and that he's the Son of God. So he's the Redeemer who is deity, God in person, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. The main point in today's sermon is simply this, have life by believing in Jesus. Have life by believing in Jesus. I'm so excited about the Gospel of John. One, because it's just one of my favorite uh, books personally to read. Um, but also because of the kind of idea of the series is when I read it, it just, just he has written it in a very poetic way and a very masterful way that allows me to just come in and be drawn into who Jesus is and how that impacts my life. And it's an encouragement to be reminded that what Christ has come and what he does is he gives us life. But, but pastor, I already have life. I'm breathing. Check my heart rate. Like, I'm alive. 
So what do you mean? Well, we'll understand as we walk through it that what Jesus is talking about here, or John specifically, as he talks about Jesus, he's talking about spiritual life. Recognizing that you and I were born uh, with physical life. And Scripture says in Romans chapter 5 that sin entered the world through one man, and because sin spread to all man, death spread to all man. And so Psalms 51 says that we were brought forth in iniquity and in, in sin where we ultimately conceived, meaning that at the moment of conception, we inherited the sinful nature because of sin. And because of that, we are, Ephesians 2 said, we are dead. You and I are not spiritually alive. We are not born spiritually alive. We are born with physical life, but not spiritual life. We are physically alive and spiritually dead until what? John chapter 20 Verse 31, but as we believe in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God, that we then may have a life through His name, through Him. By His means do we have life. And so there's this moment with our physical life and spiritual death that in that state where we surrender to Him and we go, we surrender our lives unto You. We put our faith in You as the Messiah, as the King, as our Lord, And Scripture says that He gives us life. Ephesians 2 says that in when we're dead, that He, God, Jesus, not us, but Jesus, raises us to life. He brings us to life Himself. He pours out His grace. He raises us to life. And He seats us with Him in the heavenly places. Our spiritual life is the Spirit of God. We'll see in John chapter 3 when we get to it in about a month or two. It's going to take us a minute to get John chapter 3 eventually. But it says the Spirit of God breathes life into us and that we have eternal life. So when we talk about life, we're not talking about physical life right now. In reference, we're talking about spiritual life. You and I have a need. Even as we sit here, before we come to Christ, we're here with our physical lives in desperate need of spiritual life. And so the main point of the sermon, which is also application, is have life by believing in Jesus. And if there was a kind of a second main point, it would be this. For those who have life in Jesus, go live it. Live the life that Jesus has given you. What I mean by that is... A lot of times when Christians, you know, Christians have Christianese language. You know, every culture, you start developing words that are kind of internal language and you understand what we mean. And so one of the Christian things is, hey, is, hey, tell me your testimony. And a lot of times what that means is you're asking, hey, how did you come to know Jesus? Like, when did you become a Christian? And so the story often goes, hey, tell me your testimony. It's like, well, when, for example, I'll, I'll, tell, my, I'll tell my testimony is, when I was six years old, I heard the gospel preached, thankfully, from my parents and from my pastor and leaders over and over, and my brother gave his life to Christ, and we shared a bunk bed together. He was on the top. I was on the bottom because he's older, so he got to be on top, and sometimes I got mad at that, and so one time, two times, I think even three times, I pushed the mattress off, and so like that was the dynamic we had, and so I don't know why this has nothing to do with the point, but I just remember in the buck bed moments, I would kick him off when I would get mad at him. But I remember one night as we were laying there and talking, because we often would, he just began to urge me to give my life to Jesus. He began to tell me about, hey, the fact that he had given his life to Jesus, how Christ had forgiven him of his sins, and how that brought a peace and just a, this assurance of joy and hope in Jesus. And he encouraged me, Jonathan, you need to confess your sins and give your sins or turn your life over to Jesus. And so I remember one night uh, in my room with my brother, I went and got my parents as well. I surrendered my life to Jesus. And I gave my life to Jesus. And without a shadow of doubt, I believe he breathed life into me. And there was spiritual life from that point forward. Now, um, praise God for that. But 
when we think about testimony, um, what I mean by the second idea of first have life by believing in Jesus, or if you believe in Jesus, then go live that life, is if I were to physically ask you, hey, are you alive? You're not going to go, well, on June 9th of whatever year, that's my birthday, by the way, mark your calendars, but on June 9th of whatever year, I was physically born. Your life is not determined necessarily right here in this moment. Evidence that you're alive right now physically is not determined the fact that you're born, but the fact that you're, you still have breath in your lungs right now. And so, too often in the physical life, are you alive? Let me check right now. Do you have a heartbeat? But in the spiritual life, we want to talk about hundreds of years ago, not really hundreds, but maybe a decade ago of when we gave our life to Jesus. And my challenge to you as believers from this text will be, no, show me you have life in Jesus today. Show me, not that you, when you were six years old, like I gave my life to Jesus, or maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was 10 years ago, but are you living in that life today? That would be the challenge that I would give you is first, if you don't have life in Jesus, have life by believing in Jesus. And if you would say, yes, Jesus has already given me life, then walk in that life by the Spirit of God. That is the challenge of today's sermon and going to be the challenge of the entire series of the Gospel of John. Encounter Jesus so that you may have life. Not only when you're six years old or whenever time you gave your life to Jesus, but might you encounter him today so that you can flourish in the life that he has given you. This is going to be the challenge and what our desire for you in this series. So tonight, that's as we just look at the purpose of this series, John gives it to us. I wrote these things. Now, let's walk through the text just a little bit so we make sure we fully understand. Verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. All right, that's John's telling us, hey, I didn't write it all down. My goal in the Gospel of John was not to just write history. Even though what is written is historical, his goal was not to give an exhaustive account of everything Jesus has done. That wasn't his point in writing. His point in writing was to write specific things for a specific purpose. So if you read the Gospel of John, you're going to notice that there is very little overlap between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, And you're going to notice John is very different than the other three because it's written very differently. Now, all four of them are Gospels because they're eyewitness accounts to who Jesus was, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his life. So they're gospels because they're eyewitness accounts, but they're not. None of them, and especially not John, are just, hey, here's history. Let me tell you historical facts. But all of them are writing for a specific reason, and John makes it clear. Hey, I didn't give you everything, but I gave you the specific things that were necessary to prove and argue and show you that Jesus is who he says he is. And he calls them signs because he's, they are moments, they are events where God, Jesus himself, reveals himself as the Messiah. So his argument is that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God, and therefore that changes everything. His argument through the signs is going to be to reveal that Jesus is King, that He is Lord, that He is the Son of God, meaning He is God Himself in person. And because that's true, your life is forever changed. And because that's true, He has the ability to give you life, therefore believe in Him and have life. His argument is not to be historical, although he is still historically factual. His argument is not to be exhaustive. His argument is to be direct and to point us to Jesus. And I hope that throughout this series... As I preach and we look at this text, that that would be the goal also. 
My goal as I walk through this is not to go verse by verse and make sure we understand every, why every comma is where it is or every word is where it is. That's not my goal. Even though that's helpful, and even though I need you to know that I do that in my own personal study so that I can be faithful when I'm preaching, my goal is not to give you all the information that John has to offer. My goal is to highlight what is necessary to accomplish the same goal as John had, is to reveal to you through God's Word that Jesus is who He says He is and that He can offer life. And I pray that that would be the encounter you have, is that you see that he is king, you see that he is Lord, you encounter him, and that you have life, maybe for the first time in him, or you continue to live out the life that he has already given you. So I want to ask this question, who is Jesus to you? Part of John's argument is that Jesus is the Son of God. Part of the fact that Jesus can offer life is that he is the Son of God. So the question is, who is Jesus to you? What comes to mind when you think about Jesus? What comes to mind when you think about God? A.W. Tozer has a famous quote in line with kind of this question. He says this, what comes, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And he, he goes to explain a little bit, so let me continue to read. The history of mankind will probably show that no people have ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. He's basically arguing the greatest thing about your theology is your definition and what you think about God and who you understand God to be. That's what he's arguing here. He says, worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. Meaning, your worship is worthy if you honor and revere God as high and your worship is small if you see God as small. So he's saying what we think of God affects how we worship him. See, see what's happening? He said, for this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most um, important fact about man is not what he at any given time may say or even do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God, meaning what you see as God is what you will bring your heart to worship. If you see him as a small God, you will worship in a small way. I'm, he didn't say that. I'm now ablibing and explaining. But if you see God as big, you'll worship him in a big way. Back to the quote. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. So ask the question again. What is your idea of God? What is you, what do you, when you say Jesus is, what fills in there? If Jesus is a good, just a good prophet, just a good worker, just a good religious man, then he is in fact not God, then you will never worship him as God and you'll never turn to him to give you life. But what John wants to argue through the gospel is that Jesus is God. And he wants to change hearts and minds to believe Jesus is who he says he is. That he is God in person. And if we see him to be God, it completely changes how we encounter him and react to him when we actually do encounter him. And so once again, what comes to mind when you think of Jesus? Not just from a practical mental state of going, well, you know, I'm not looking for necessarily answers like this, um, which is maybe part of it. But God is, 
the infinite, omnipotent, all-powerful one who is all-knowing, and he is transcendent above creation. He has no corporal body, but he is a spiritual being, and he is greater than all things, and he is limited to absolutely nothing because that's what makes him God. Okay, that's hopefully that is actually true. It's a good philosophical answer of God. But what I'm arguing is, I'm not arguing do you have just a right philosophical answer of who God is, but I'm asking do you, not just with your mind, but with your heart and your life, do you see him as what I just defined, and therefore our response should be in worship and all of him? So I'm not just talking about the conception you have in your mind only, but the conception that is in your heart, because what you perceive God to be in your heart is what you will pursue him to be with your life. And so what comes to mind when you think about God? So we look through the Gospel of John, and specifically when we get to John chapter 1, we're going to spend a lot of time unpacking that idea. I want you to flip to John chapter 1, not getting ahead of myself in the sermon, but as you're doing that, um, one of our values at New Hope is reading Scripture, and at New Hope we consistently turn to the Bible as our ultimate guide for life and truth. And one of the ways that we demonstrate that is that we will spend times memorizing Scripture together as a church. And throughout this series... Just hang with me for a second, but throughout this series, I want us to memorize John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 together. Like, whoa, 18 verses, yeah. The series is like 30 weeks long, all right? So we got time. I'm not asking you to memorize it by next week. Like, we're going to take a verse at a time, and we're going to work through it. And I'm going to unpack next week why John 1, 1 through 18. Two specific reasons I want to give you tonight. One, because John 1, 1 through 18 argues that Jesus is God. It's a, it's a clear argument that Jesus is God. But two, John 1, 1 through 18 is the table of contents for the rest of John. I will argue as we walk through the rest of John, it, well, at least until we get to the final week of Jesus. All the signs that are mentioned, there are seven signs mentioned in John, all those miracles all the way through John chapter 12, all of it is unpacking John 1 through 18. 1, 1 through 18. All of it. So John 1, 1 through 18 is literally a summar, summarizing the entire gospel of who Jesus is and what John's about to say, and he simply unpacks it throughout the rest. So we're going to memorize it because it's going to help us keep in mind the whole story of the gospel of John, and it's going to allow us to memorize a very important text that speaks about who Jesus is, which brings us back to why I'm bringing it up tonight. Who is Jesus to you? And we want to spend time unpacking that together. But I want to close, and I want to, I want to kind of speak out of both sides of my mouth. Like, I'm going to contradict myself, but to make a really good point. Um, it's going to sound like a paradox. A paradox is when it sounds like a contradiction, but actually both points can be true. Is A.W. Tozer quote basically is, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. And I do think John chapter 20, our text today, will give a challenge to that thought, gives validity to that statement. But I would argue, I tend to agree with C.S. Lewis on this point, not Tozer. C.S. Lewis would say this in response, actually he wrote it before Tozer, but in response to what Tozer says, the thought of what Tozer said, he says this, I read in a periodical the other day, or a writing, the other day, that the most important thing about us is what we think about God. He said, but by God himself, that is not true. He says, how God thinks about us is much more important and infinitely more important than what we think about him. And I want to close on this thought. I do think, that's why I said it's a paradox, I think both are making a really good point. Tozer, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. I, I 
think his point is right and going, hey, we got to have a faithful view of God. And our faithful view of God affects how we live our lives. But as we read the story of Scripture and the Gospel of John, more important than what we think about God is what he thinks about us. And here's what he thinks about you. Is that despite the fact that you and I have sinned and rebelled against him, he loves you. And when we look at John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That he loved you despite your sin and even in light of your sin. That he loved you so much and in his mind and what he thinks about you, he sees a beloved son and daughter of the king and that he pursues you and he walks with you. And this gospel of John is not just arguing that what we think about him is important, but the gospel of John is arguing that in light of our sin, Jesus loves us and pursues us. The Gospel of John is not just convincing us that Jesus is God, but it's convincing us that Jesus is God and He came and lived with you in order to save you. Now, not literally you, that was 2,000 years ago, but amongst mankind. He has come and He has dwelt among us. And so I want you to hear in conclusion tonight this truth. Not only is it important what you think about God, but I want you to hear what, what actually He thinks about you is more important. And that he loves you and that he cares for you and that he gave his life for you. Would you rest in that today? Had a conversation with um, a gentleman from the, uh, I, if you don't know, I preach at another church on Sunday mornings just as to help fill in pulpit supply for them. And one of the things I say to them, which I say to you and I, and I actually mean it, is that, hey, I, like, I love you guys. Like, I love being your pastor. I love preaching. I love walking life with you. And I would say that to them because I've been with them for two years also. My very first Sunday with them was March 15, 2020. What a ride, right? I meet them in person, and then I don't see them again for like a year and a half because we're on Zoom. But I've been walking life with them in this tough season, and I genuinely love them. And, I've, and I would say that to them. And I would, as I do to you, like, hey, I love you guys, and I love being your pastor. And he, had a, he came up to me a couple weeks ago. We were having coffee, and he says, hey, man, I just got to be honest, like, you say that, and that kind of puts me, like, that's, that's a little weird to me. Like, it's a little weird that you say it. And if it's weird that I tell you I love you, I'm sorry, but I love you, and I don't know what else to say. And he said, it's a little weird. I said, I explain, like, why is that weird? He said, I've never had a pastor tell me they love me before. And he says, I appreciate it, and I'm grateful for it. Like, he was thanking me. But his point was, I, I never heard that. And when you say that over my life, it just encourages me. And it does something. This is also a gentleman I was meeting with him because he had had some traumatic experiences in churches. And he had had pastors that had hurt him. And so he had some trauma that he was working through with pastors. And he, he, it took almost two years before he came and had this conversation with me because I'm a pastor. And he has trauma from pastors. And he was concerned to talk to me about it because he was concerned on how I would react. But, and when I, but he said, but you saying you love me like it's helping me heal. I want you to hear something. I, I can tell you I love you and I do love you. But much more important than my love for you, Jesus says he loves you. When we th- say what we think about God, absolutely important. But there's just something different when you really rest in the fact that, he- hear these words, Jesus loves you. He loves you despite everything about you in positive and negative ways. And what I mean by that is his love is not conditional on you. 
Like he knows the best things about me and the worst things about me and he still loves me. That no matter what I do today, he loves me. Why? Because his grace is so good. And so maybe, I use the illustration of having that conversation with that gentleman to maybe for you to really rest in the fact that, hey, I, I believe God to be God. Great, and that's good. And I want that to be true because that will change how you approach him. But I think more importantly, I'll need you to hear today, but he loves you. He loves you. And the Gospel of John is going to show us that he dwelt among us, that he lived with us, and he laid down his life, meaning he literally sacrificed his life so that you could have life. Would you rest in that today? Would you encounter a God who loves you. Let's pray. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.